Good morning, good morning, good morning. Today we are kicking off a new sermon series entitled Finite God. And this begs the question of what God are you worshiping? Or what is your perspective or your view or your God-given belief? And I use that word God-given or that phrase God-given very lightly because all of us, every single person in here, has some type of God. We all are worshiping something. We all are valuing something. We are all prioritizing something. And we are kicking off today this idea of a finite or a tiny, small God. A limited God, as you saw on on that funny, humorous video. Wasn't that video funny? Yeah. So the goal of this sermon series is to challenge, everybody say challenge, your view and my view of our God. Whether you're a Jesus follower and you have your Christian God or you are a non-Jesus follower, glad you're here, um, and you have your perspective of your God or your value system or what you put above everything and everyone else. Let me read this. Joy can't be multiplied greatly if our happiness is based on things and happenings. Bad things are guaranteed to happen to everyone. The world teaches us to run from the bad things. Jesus calls us to discover his power and his plan in and over the bad things. The question still remains, what kind of a God am I worshiping? And for the sermon today, will this God show up when it really matters? Will my God show up when I'm weak, when I am in need. Now, some of you guys are asking this question in your brains. What's the next step, bro? I'm sure that's what you all are asking. I can hear you. Well, last week, Pastor Caleb preached a phenomenal sermon. If you haven't seen it or you weren't here, um, you can go on the website, stop by Direct and Connect. They can uh, push you through exactly how to get to the website and how to find the sermon. But last week's sermon, Pastor Caleb had a challenge that really hit my heart, hit me in the middle of my eyes, punched me in the face. And as I sit, figuratively speaking and literally speaking, at my kitchen table, as Don just mentioned, as I sit at my kitchen table and I wrestle with this idea of living generously and being not a consumer but a steward of all the resources, the gifts, the talents, and the money that God has blessed me with, it pushed me to ask yet a deeper question. Because as Pastor Caleb said last week, and as I quickly realized as Jesus was speaking to my heart throughout this week, it has zero to do with money. It has everything to do with my heart towards Money. You can replace the word money with anything. 
when my wife and I are discussing our kids and we have a difference of opinion, it has nothing at the end of the day to do with the kids. At the end of the day, it has to do with my heart towards, my perspective towards, my mindset towards the kids. When my money is funny and my change is strange, it has nothing at the end of the day to do with money. It has everything to do with where I have placed my hope. A next step for you and for me might be that we consider what Don just mentioned a little earlier, grabbing that index card and that envelope and answering those tough questions that Pastor Caleb mentioned. Am I experiencing joy in generosity? How much will I keep? Number three, who am I and where does God want me to direct these funds? Today, today's sermon is really pushing you to ask again this question. Will your God show up in your weakness? Question, question. I want you to hear this. I'm going to give you the awkward pause. Here it comes for you to actually think about this. Will my God show up when I'm weak? Some years ago, I think around nine years ago, I had a very weak, in this context, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, a very terrible experience. Second day, third day of my brand new job, and at the time, this was one of the best jobs I ever had in my life in terms of money. Good pay, working in Silicon Valley, selling software. On this particular day, I wanted to impress my boss, so I wanted to show up extra early. My goal was to get there at 6.30. My commute was about an hour and 15 minutes. I'm on the road listening to some Jesus, Holy Ghost field preaching, and I fall asleep. At this time that I fall asleep, I had to be going 70-plus miles an hour. By the time I wake up, I am met with red taillights. Everybody has stopped on the freeway. And I slam on the brakes immediately, and I hear, boom. I total a beautiful Corvette. No license, no insurance. I heard you. Don't judge me. All of you judgy people in here. Driving, riding dirty, okay? <laughs> I'm freaked out. I'm sure I'm going to jail. Straight up, I'm going to jail. Black man, Silicon Valley, no license, no insurance. It's okay, you can laugh. I'm going to jail. Let's get to the end of the story. I didn't go to jail. But in that moment, listen, people, okay, a wife, four kids, that's our main vehicle, and now I'm really late to work. If you want to talk about weakness, that was a weak moment. According to how 
Paul defines it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that was a hardship. That was calamity. All hell broke loose in my life. Here's the question. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you had no options? Or if you did have options, all the options that you had were terrible. When that car got totaled, I thought about running. I thought about begging the man, getting on my knees, saying, please don't call the police, please. I had zero options. And the options that I did have, they were all terrible. I had zero options. Paul can completely relate, but in a more serious way. Join me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. It says, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Paul just had a great moment, had a great hallelujah, mountaintop, heavenly defined, divine experience, similar to mine's before I fell asleep. A messenger of Satan, Paul says, a messenger of Satan to torment, torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times. One, two, three. Lord, please. Paul, similar to how I pleaded, Jesus, please get me out of this. Lord, please. Three times that I would leave, that it would leave me, Paul says. But he said to me, so Jesus' response is, Paul prays to him. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Not quite the response that Paul, I'm sure, was looking for at that moment. Next verse says, Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. If Paul's weakness was anything like my weakness, that's not the time to rejoice or to be excited. But look at why he says that he is boasting in his weakness. So that Christ's power may reside in me. Don't miss that. So I take pleasure in weakness. This is anti the American consumeristic viewpoint that I have in my heart and that many of you have in yours. To take pleasure in being weak. This is countercultural. What does weakness mean? Insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then... I am strong. That sounds cute and pretty on the screen and in your Bible, but when it's your hardship or when it's the insult that's coming to your face or when someone disrespects you on social media or disrespects you at your job or someone who you've done a ton for picks up the phone and has the nerve to disrespect you over the phone, it doesn't feel all warm and fuzzy. Y'all should have said amen right there. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 12 pulls out three specific questions. These are going to be our three points for the time that we have left. What 
are the weaknesses that Paul is talking about? Number two, what is the purpose for them? This is the why God, why me moment. Number three, will God, whether you have a big G-O-D God or a little G-O-D God, show up in them? Will God show up in the middle of my weakness? Number one, what are the weaknesses that Paul has in mind here? This is an easy answer. Paul mentions, mentions weakness in the passage multiple times. Says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Then he says, I will all the more gladly boast in my weakness. Then he says, again in verse 10, and this is where he defines what he means by weakness. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses. Question is, what are these? He lists them out, insults. This is when someone verbally abuses you, says something that they know is going to harm you, or it's intended to hurt you. Anybody ever been insulted in here? Maybe just me and, and you up here? Just, just, just us? Okay. <laughs> Paul says, hardships. Anybody ever had a hardship in here? Yeah? Circumstances forced upon you, reversals of fortune against your will. This could refer to any situation where you feel trapped. When I got into that car accident, people, that was a hardship. Lord Jesus, that was a hardship. And I thought that that specific experience was the hardship. The real one was everything after. Oh, God. Paul says persecutions. This isn't a light word. Paul knows what it means to be persecuted. This isn't a man who's preaching from a perfect ivory tower. Paul has been punched in the face. He's been abused. He's been kicked out of towns, almost dead. Paul's the one who's been illegally arrested. Paul's not someone who's had beautiful experiences in terms of persecution. He knows what that word means in this context for the sake of Christ. Not someone taking your parking spot that you were waiting on. No, this persecution is being harmed because of your profession of faith, because you have said the name of Jesus. Have you ever been persecuted? Then finally he says calamities. This is how he defines weaknesses, calamities, or distresses, or difficulties, or troubles. The idea is one of pressure or crushing. Have you ever felt like life was pressuring you or crushing you? That moment where it's too much to bear. What Paul is not saying is when we sin. When we know we shouldn't do something, but we do it anyway, he's not talking about that in terms of being weak. Paul is talking about those things that he just listed here. Insults, hardships, calamity, difficulties. What these weaknesses are, are terrible situations or circumstances. The shout is, or the good news is, this dude who wrote majority of the New Testament went through hard stuff. Can I raise my hand and say this? 
Don't be shocked when you go through hard stuff. One of the biggest things that I said when I went through and still go through hard things is, why me? If I ask the question, why me, it gets right to the heart of Paul's issue here. He says that I'm going through this for a specific reason, to challenge a specific reason that my heart is the way that it is. Here's the second point. The second question is really clear. What are the weaknesses? We just described those. Number two, what is the purpose for these weaknesses? The question that many of you guys are asking is, why do I got to go through drama? Why do I got to go through hardship? Some of us are still trying to recover from the recession. Seriously. Some of us are still trying trying to figure out how do we navigate mama being gone? Dad being gone, a child being gone, trying to navigate a loss of a job. Everybody's talking about there's a good stock market right now. It ain't showing up in my bank account, some people are saying. How do we navigate and why, why is this happening? Well, it's right here, right here in the text. What is the purpose? Number one. Paul says that this came from Satan. (laughs) We don't say that word too often, that this is a work of the devil. Now, I got to be honest, sometimes we drop that, man, this is the devil phrase too much. But in this context, it's perfect. First, he says that Satan has the purpose to buffet you. The word buffet means to harass you. Let me quickly get to this point. There is a force out there. There is a being out there that wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that you got going. It's funny, sometimes sad. It's it's an easier sermon to convince people that there's a devil. It's a harder sermon to convince people that there's a real holy God. Ask yourself, why is that? Well, Paul says that Satan, a messenger, Satan plotted, came against him. The source of our weakness sometimes may be, in fact, the devil, who's after one thing, to destroy you. Number two, another purpose for this is a God purpose. God's purpose is, according to this passage, to humble you. God regards humility more important. This is going to hurt. It hurt me all week. God's desire often is for our good at the expense of sometimes our comfort. God regards humility more important than our comfort. God regards his glory and promises our eternal good. It might suck right now, but if you're connected to a real, holy, pure, righteous, promising God, 
it will get better. Paul says he will give us a mountaintop experience in paradise and then bring us through anguish. And in his context, lest we think that we have risen above the need to totally rely on Jesus. This is a tough one for me because I'm like, come on, Jesus, why me? Why you got to do this to me? Why I got to go through this? And you know what's at the, at the foundation of that mindset or that heart posture? It's pride. I don't think that I deserve to go through this. You might deserve it, but I don't deserve it. I can give him a long list of people. <laughs> oh, God, I got a long list of people. <laughs> I start preaching to him. I got a long list of people. <laughs> that you should have let this happen to. Why me? I don't know about you, but when I get to that mindset, it is I don't deserve this, meaning I've done, look at my list, I've done all these things. I was listening to preaching, Jesus. I'm trying to feed my four kids, Jesus. I'm trying to get to work before on time. I'm just trying to get a license, registration. I'm just trying to get it right. The least you can do, you shake your fist at Jesus, the least you can do is keep me awake. Have you ever been there? <laughs> Paul, Paul says that the purpose is not only to humble, but the purpose also is to show his power. If you look at verse 9, your weaknesses are, watch this, redesigned and reshaped for his glory for your good. Our weakness, our calamity, our drama, the pain, the sickness, all of these things in the hands of God are reshaped and redesigned and repurposed so God can get the glory. Watch this. For the Jesus follower, when God gets the glory, it can't help but hit his kid. If God is my father, which he is, and I am his son, which I am, if daddy gets glory, I'm getting blessed too. If daddy gets a raise, I'm getting some too. Watch this. It's hard though when you're in the middle of it. It feels good, woo, when you got the happy ever after. Mm, I made it through, yeah. That was nine years ago, yeah, woo. But I couldn't laugh about that story nine years ago. <laughs> I was crying. Let me say this to you, for you that's going through a terrible time right now, God sees you. He loves you, he cares, and it is not his desire to allow terrible things to happen to you for your destruction. Hear this, it is his desire to allow these things to happen so that he can show and reveal his power. Can I be the first to say, 
from my own personal life, when things are going well and there's extra money in the bank account and all the kids are healthy and everybody's just doing beautiful, it is so hard for me personally to give God glory. It is hard for me personally to be fervent, to be serious in prayer. For me personally, it is hard for me to desperately hunger for something bigger than myself. Why? Because in this American economy and in my heart, I feel comfortable. I'm not talking about you. I'm not picking on you. <laughs> I'm talking about me. When everything is going beautiful and this comfort thing comes into my life, it's hard for me to be desperate for him. But oh, when stuff hits the fan. I ain't as fast as I used to be, but when stuff hits the fan, I used to run track back in the day. Ooh, I'm fast to run to prayer. I'm like, woo, Jesus, let me talk to you. This, she said this, he said that. Did you, Jesus, did you see what, did you... Is it just me? <laughs> I'm fast. Watch this. God allows, allows things to happen in our lives so that he can show you that it's not your ability that's making it happen, but it's his power. And sometimes he has to reveal his power by allowing certain things to not work. Because if it doesn't work, it's like your cell phone. When it's, when it's, when it's not working, you start to look at the mechanics and you're like, what is going wrong? Is, is, is the charger broken? Is, is it the power switch? And then your heart has to reset and you have to see that all power, all ability, all possibility comes from him. And it's not based on you being so cool, your beautiful degree, your beautiful pedigree, your beautiful sentence that you wrote. It's not that, the power's in him. And so he gives us the gift. That's why Paul celebrates. He says, in my weakness, I boast all the more because it resets my heart back to where the power really is. If I can push it, he also says that there's purpose in reshaping my heart towards true satisfaction. Verse 9 says, so that his power may live in me. Towards the end of verse 9, it says, so that his power may live in me. How does that work? Watch this. When I have to go to God, because everything else and everyone else has failed me, and I'm before him. I don't know about you, but I'm just talking about for me. There's this deep satisfaction. There's comfort that happens inside of my heart. When I go to God for prayer, when I go to him, when everything else is falling apart around me, and I can press in and focus on who he is and what he has done, Something shifts, something changes in my heart and in my mind. And there's a greater level of satisfaction and joy 
in him. That's not based on happenings. It's not based on things. But it's based on who he is. Last question. Will God show up in my weaknesses? We said it before, and I'll say it again. Joy can't be multiplied greatly if our happiness is based on happenings. Bad things are guaranteed to happen. Look at the person next to you and say, guaranteed. Probably just woke him up. Look at the person next to you and say, guaranteed. (laughs) Bad stuff will happen to all of us. It's like Pastor Caleb's 100% guarantee. Bad stuff will happen. But bad things, while they're guaranteed, they're not the final part of the story. The world teaches us to run from these terrible weaknesses and these bad things. Jesus calls us to discover his power in it and over it. What kind of God Am I worshiping? Is it a finite God? Or is it an infinite God? A limitless God? A massive God? Am I worshiping that little figurine type God that was on the funny video? Or am I worshiping a God that can't fit on the screen? That can't fit in my perspective? of how this particular situation should go. You know the issue with pride is? I expect God to work my life out the way I want him to work it out. And so if there's a bad part of my marriage, if there's a bad part of my parenting, if I get sick, if something, if I get into a car accident, if a family member dies, I look at him as if he's not capable of being God. That's pride. That's me saying, how dare you mess up my plans? How dare you give give me a different way of looking at this? I want to look at it this way, not that way. I want it to turn out this way, not that way. I'm almost saying, you're not God, I am. I'm in control. You're, You're not in control. I don't deserve bad. I don't want bad. I don't want weakness. I don't want calamity. And if you do it, God, me and you are done. I'm not going to serve you like I was. What kind of relationship is that? Will that work in marriage? Will that work in parenting? Some of y'all ain't even parents. Y'all got a dog. Will that work with dogs? I can preach about Asha. That's my German shepherd. Six-month-old puppy, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Come home, and there is doo-doo all over the kennel. I mean, everywhere. Do I get rid of the dog? <laughs> that was my wife. That was my wife. <laughs> yes, get rid of the dog. <laughs> it's beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> Will my God show up 
in them. Two quick, real accounts that I'm going to retell to you to answer this question. Number one, this is dude named Job. Old Testament, first half of the Bible. I encourage you to Google the story of Job in the Old Testament. Google it, blow your mind. The first part of the story is Satan says, hey God, I'm looking for somebody to mess with. God says, have you ever considered my servant Job? Satan says, Job's got everything. He's balling. He's got all the money. He's got everything. That's why he loves you. God says, nope, he loves me for me, not for what I've given him. Satan says, okay, let me mess with him. God says, you can do anything you want to, but you can't kill him. God allows Satan to be who Satan is. Satan is who he is, and so he ruins Job's life. Kids, gone. Wealth, gone. Job does not curse God and die. As the people around him, somebody super close to him, tells him to. When you get to the end of the story, around verse 38, Job is frustrated. Chapter 38 of Job, Job is frustrated. That's a fun chapter. You read that one. He's like, why me, God? And God looks at him and he says, where were you when I created the world? Job's like, that's a great question. Then you get to about, about chapter 42, and God gives everything back plus some that Job lost. He restores everything. Now, for some people, they think the shout is, Woo! I got back everything the devil stole. Yeah! Got my money back, got my kids back. That's not the point. <laughs> the bigger point, this whole story points to my second Real account. Jesus loses everything. God allows messed up evil people to strip Jesus of everything. Fast forward the story. Jesus is 33 years old. He's hanging on a cross, people. This is God wrapped in human flesh. Hanging on a nasty, ugly cross. Nails in his hands, massive nail in his feet. They have whooped him, beat him, half dead. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. You want to talk about weakness, this trumps any story that you have and I have. Because I ain't never been crucified. The point of crucifixion is to suffocate you to death slowly. He dies a slow painful death. He's at his weakest point, so weak that God, wrapped in human flesh, cries out and says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Dad, why you left me? And they put Jesus in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he resurrects from the grave, conquering over Satan's sin and death. Will God show up in weakness. I promise you he will. I promise you he will. But here's the question. Who is your God? Join me as I pray. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to hear from your word. 
I pray that you will reshape our hearts, change our minds, change my mind, change my heart, that I might see you and what you're up to as a tiny piece in my life of a bigger plan. Sometimes it's going to have to hit up my comfort. It's going to make me very uncomfortable. Sometimes I'm going to be really sad. Some people, under the sound of my voice right now, they are in that place. They're in a tough time right now. I pray, God, that you'll let them know that they're loved, that you care for them, that you haven't forgotten about them, and that you have a plan. Even though it doesn't look like it, you have a plan for your glory and for their ultimate good. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.